When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the newest episode of the Pitch to Contact podcast, part of the Twin Stock Network. I'm your host, Ben Jones, and I'm joined by my co-host, as always, John Ka. John, I want to start with a non-twins thing today. Mm. Uh, did you see Cedric Mullins' home run robbery? I did not. I mean, I saw it. I saw tweets about it, or I guess posts about it, uh, but I didn't see the replay of it, no. Um. Well, let me tell you about it then, which doesn't do it justice, but the Orioles are up 3-2. It's the ninth inning. Cedric Mullins, ball hit deep to center. He jumps up, and Cedric Mullins, not the tallest guy ever. I think he's like 5'8", 5'9", but he gets like half his body up above the wall, grabs the ball, pulls it back. One of the most incredible catches I've seen all year. It was incredible. It's he, That seems to be his calling card this season. I mean, he robbed Byron Buxton of a, a yeah, homer that's right. a couple, couple weeks ago as well, so... Yeah, he's been kind of known for the highlight plays uh, this season. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been cool to see. I, just in general, I think it's cool to see the Orioles playing well. They have a lot of players that I like, and they're young, they're exciting. It reminds me a lot of you know the Twins twenty nineteen when they just kind of broke out out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they have an owner that seems to uh, ruin that at every <laughs> every yeah. given chance. But the players themselves are great, so you don't want to blame them for what's going on with the ownership. Yeah, there's I mean, there's a lot of fun parallels where it's like yeah, Mullins, uh, Adley Rutschman, Gunnar Henderson. Um, Chris said Rodriguez is, you know, kind of, kind of making his way into the majors. He He's not completely at the, you know, like a number four, number three starter that his potential could be. I mean, his potential is really a number one starter, but yeah, yeah. Uh, he's been doing okay this season, not, not lights out, but yeah, they have a bunch of nice young, young bats, um, coming up and that could be something that the twins experience, uh, over the next couple of years as well. Yeah, definitely. It's been really cool to see them literally jump out of nowhere. I think they were last in the AL East this year or last year. And then this year they have the best record in the American League and the second best in all of baseball behind the Braves. And they're quickly closing in on, on the Braves there, partly because the Braves are playing a little bit worse as well. But still, what, what an amazing story. Good to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it is unfortunate that there's a little bit of controversy with, with the team owner and all that stuff. And it's, it's frustrating when that kind of you know, clouds the, uh, the narrative, but as just baseball wise, it's been, it's been fun to see a lot of Orioles fans, uh, kind of get excited about their team for the first time in a long time. Yeah, definitely. Uh, def- definitely feels like that 2019 range where you saw a lot of twins fans suddenly reawaken, right. Yeah. Of not just the hardcore guys like us that are watching Josh Willingham and Ryan Domit hit 20 home runs a year, but uh, real actual people come out and see the team too, which is fun. Yeah, I mean, I was at the I mean the last game of that postseason in 2019, and when we were playing the Yankees, and that stadium was completely packed, and that was that was a fun experience to see Target Field just filled with people. Definitely, if the Twins keep keep it up and they're in the playoffs. I imagine we'll see a similar uh, feel this year. Maybe not the same as that 2019 uh, home run Bomba squad breakout team, but still, I think there's a lot of excitement around the team. Uh, even when people complain about it, I feel like that's still good. People care, right? You know, you don't complain about something you don't care about. So, right. Um, so let's get back into the twins a little bit. So uh, we'll be going over the tigers and the Philly series, which are just tale of completely different sides of the week here. But uh, still some good stuff along with the bad. Uh, but before we get into that, be sure to follow us. You can follow us on your podcast platform of choice. You can follow us on Twitter or X at Twins Talk Pod. Uh, you can follow John and myself there as well. And if you're liking what you're hearing, again, please leave us a review. We always appreciate them. And yeah, let's let's get into it. So this last week, they went three and four. They lost a four-game series to the Tigers uh, and then won two out of three against the Phillies. And like I was saying, just a complete vibe shift from the four games they lost in a row to the last two they uh, beat the Phillies in. And just it's kind of an encapsulation of what the second half has been like 
like, which has been completely different from the first, where the first, it seemed like it'd be win two, lose two, win one, lose one, maybe win three and then lose four, right? And now it's just so much streakier where the beginning of the week, it looks like, oh my gosh, they may fall out of first place by the end of this week. The Guardians also didn't really play well, so that didn't happen. But losing three out of four to the Tigers is never a good sign. It's very similar to the conversation we had uh, about the Royals a few weeks ago when they got swept by the Royals. Yeah, Detroit is 12 games below 500 right now. They're not good. They're not a very good team. And for some reason, the Twins really enjoy playing to the level of their competition right now. Totally. Um, with, yeah, like you mentioned, the Royals series where they got swept and the series where it, it basically felt like they got swept. Losing three out of four is, is never good. Um, but, yeah, and then they, they turned it around, which was nice. Obviously, we'll talk about it in a little bit more detail. But, yeah, this team just feels really streaky. And that can be a good thing if you're on a hot streak, but when you're on the cold streak, it just, it, yeah, it doesn't look great. Yeah. The, and then they turn around and take two out of three from the Phillies who had been one of the best teams in baseball over the last few months, one of the best offensive in baseball. We saw that in game one and then they shut them down in the next two games, but man, what, what a team. They just, they kind of find a new way to frustrate me. It seems like every yeah. single week where it's like this week was frustrating, but it was very different, frustrating in a very different way from the week before. Right. Exactly. Like the, it's it's just classic Minnesota Twins, right? You you never know if they're really good enough, um, but you always the, the record always indicates that like oh you know they're 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 a pretty decent team. Yeah. Well, after all that, the Twins still are in first in the AL Central, the horrible AL Central. They're still the only team above five hundred, uh, thanks in a large part to some late game blowups from the Cleveland Guardians and Emmanuel Clase. So uh, they still have a four and a half game lead, which I think is their second biggest lead their biggest was earlier this week when they had a five game lead on the division and so they're not playing super great they went three and four but they i think have the exact same division lead now as they did this time last week so yeah thank you al central as always and something notable i'm realizing as i'm looking at the standings the twins are no longer the only team in the al central with a non-negative run differential (laughs) cleveland currently has a zero run differential which is uh Pretty impressive considering the fact that for the longest time, the Twins were the only team in the AL Central with a positive run differential. Well, it makes sense because the Guardians keep on losing these games by one or two runs because they blow up at the end of them, right? And so even their losses are pretty small margins. Right. Meanwhile, you know, Kansas City doing well with a minus 160, which isn't the worst in the AL. That still belongs to Oakland with a minus 284. But, um, you know, Cleveland, uh, Kansas City, you know, still still, uh, representing the AL Central well in the the cellar. Uh, I mean, listen, Kansas City has been better the last couple of weeks. Sweeping the Twins seemingly got them a little bit hot. They won, I think, yeah. uh, seven or eight in a row before they finally lost again after that. Bobby Witt Jr. is suddenly yeah. looking like the actual player people thought he was going to be. Yep. And so, you know, that obviously they're not going to be good this year. But I do think if you're a Royals fan, there's been a lot of positive signs this year. For, for the sure. Yeah. And their pitching is kind of starting to come together, which has always been an issue with yeah. uh, the Royals where their pitching has been basically non-existent um so and they've yeah. been terrible at developing pitching uh, but they actually look like they have some guys yeah versus you look at a team like the tigers right where these last two years they were really planning on taking a step forward with uh you know guys like torkelson coming up and signing javier baez and eduardo rodriguez you know, those were their kind of big moves to be like okay we're not we're, we're past the rebuilding phase we're moving into the next uh, stage here but between all of the injuries they've had to their pitching prospects and young players and then Baez just being one of the worst players in baseball period yeah. since they've signed him uh, they, they've definitely not been where they want to they're kind of like the White Sox where they were planning to be maybe not good as good as the White Sox want to but better and then it not going that way is kind of just thrown a complete wrench in their plans mm-hmm. yeah well that's enough about the Ale Central I'm sure there's a lot <laughs> that we could talk about them um, but yeah, I mean, moving on to the first series of games against the AL Central opponent and the Tigers. Um, game one was a happy beginning. It was an 8-1 victory. Everything looked up for the Twins. Pablo Lopez started with seven innings, five hits, and eight strikeouts. Just another great start from him. Uh, he, and it's kind of continuing a, a little bit of a success since the All-Star break for Pablo. Um, in this one, his curveball was his main secondary of the game, and um, that one and the, and the slider were both earning plenty of whiffs. And Honestly, just good to see him have good command from all the secondaries. It just makes him really versatile instead of being that fastball changeup guy. He's got 
you know, three legit secondary pitches that any day could be doing work and yeah, get, get you eight strikeouts and seven shutout innings. Yeah. If I think if you're looking at the big thing for Pablo from this year to last year, uh, how he's taken a step forward, it's, I think it all starts with the fastball where the fastball has gone from good to great. Yeah. And then it plays up all the secondaries as well. And some of his secondaries have improved the slider, especially uh, has looked a lot better, but it all starts with that fastball and, We'll talk about this a little bit more, but I think at some point you have to start talking about Pablo in the Cy Young conversation here. Just a little bit. Yeah. I mean, just a little bit. He he did have a kind of a rough stretch in the middle of the first half. That's probably going to knock him out of the contention, but his, his all-star uh, since the all-star break, he's been a really strong pitcher. So um, yeah. it's, yeah, it's been an impressive run for him. The past, past few starts. Definitely. Well, the twins got to face their arch nemesis in uh, a lefty <laughs> uh, starting pitcher. Granted, they got a little lucky because this lefty was Joey Wentz, who is not very good. And but had two good starts against the Twins earlier this that's, year. That's true. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I, I guess technically still true. Their arch nemesis, Joey Wentz. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, they started off with a bang. Ryan Jeffers actually continued his hot streak uh, with a three-run homer in the first inning. Carlos Correa decided to add a second three-run homer in the second inning as well. You know, out to a six zero lead, which is pretty pretty solid. Actually, it was a seven zero lead because Correa had a RBI double in the first as well. And then um, Jordan Luplo, who basically was signed because he could hit lefties, also had a really good game. He went through for five. Um, basically, just frustrating. I think a bunch of Twins fans. It's like if we had someone better than Jordan Luplo, like what what could have been what could have been for this team for like the past couple of weeks when we faced yeah. lefties. Literally anybody better than. Uh, Lupo, right? Like it, it, he's been good and it's been good to see, but he, he was DFA'd for a reason. You yeah. Know? Like that there's a reason that the Blue Jays, who are fighting for a playoff spot, decided, ah, I don't know if we want this guy on our roster. Right. Exactly. Like we could have had so many better options. Well, he had options remaining too. It's not like they, they ran out of space on the 26 man roster. He has an yeah. option. They could have just sent him to AAA and they just decided to kick him off the roster entirely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, moving on to game two, then this is when the fun, I guess, kind of started. Uh, this was a six Oh loss. Uh, Sonny Gray was the starting pitcher with six innings, seven hits, two earned runs, um, and then one unearned, uh, but then 10 strikeouts. So honestly, despite those three runs, Sonny was having a really solid day. He had nine whips alone on the slider. Um, and that, that pitch has been looking really, really solid, uh, as of recent. And then this was also his third straight uh, start with no walks, which had been kind of an issue. Like it's yeah. not like a bad issue, but he'd been giving it up like one to two every single start. And the last three, he hasn't given any, but of course those seven hits um, just resulted in a few runs. And honestly, like as good of a start it was, it was just unfortunate that he basically had, well, he did have no run support in this game. Yeah. This was the uh, Eduardo Rodriguez game, right? Yep, they were, they were playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, a little interesting thing here. I think we talked about it last week, but the potential Sonny Gray, Eduardo Rodriguez three-way trade with the mm-hmm. Dodgers to get Sonny Gray. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, you know, kind of it showed here what the type of pitcher Eduardo Rodriguez is. He's very different, I think, than Sonny, obviously coming from the left side, but a great pitcher who's been great for a long time and has never really been that bad. I think the Twins could have done a lot worse than picking up Eduardo Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. But Sonny Gray also showed why it was good to keep him too. Like you said, he he was really, really solid and unsurprisingly didn't get any run support. It's kind of how it goes for Sonny. Yeah, I mean, basically he got his win last week and then <laughs> it was until April when he got his the next win. So yeah, he's it's the... You know, the running joke of Joe Ryan getting all the run support and I guess Pablo now getting all the run support. It's yeah. it's really funny that Sonny isn't getting any. Um, the, uh, the good news is if he keeps up his current trend, I think his next win is scheduled for October. Hey, so. well, that's a, that's a good time to have one, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, of course, the, the reason why the bats were sucking was because they were facing a really good lefty in Eduardo Rodriguez. And, you know, this team just can't produce. Uh, they did only strike out eight times. So that was like, I guess kind of a positive that they weren't just like completely dominated by Rodriguez. Um, but anytime they had runners in scoring position, they basically could do nothing. They, they went over seven. Um, I guess a few positives you could take from a six Oh loss. Correa didn't strike out, which is kind of what you'd hope from a righty who's facing a lefty. He, he went two for three with a walk. So, you know, he, he had the best game pretty much out of all the, all the batters. Um, but yeah, the team just couldn't do anything with runners in scoring position. Yeah. And, 
again, we said it before, it's been a problem all year. They don't hit lefties well. And especially when you have Buxton out and Royce Lewis out, two guys that would be hitting, you know, at the top of the lineup against any lefty. It's a pretty scary, bad lineup they're running out there. And Mm -hmm. we've kind of talked jokingly before about if you're a playoff team, do you send out your kind of mid-level lefty starter or your high-level righty? I think it's a real legitimate debate you have to have because if you're because if you're running that lefty out there, you're keeping Kepler, Walner, and Julian most likely out of the starting lineup, which are maybe the three, the Twins' three best hitters right now. Yeah, I mean, in this game, Julian actually came in as a pinch hitter for uh, Luplo, who was batting cleanup in this uh, <laughs> in this lineup, which uh, it's never a thing you want to really see uh, from a guy who literally was like DFA'd a week ago. Yeah, he was hitting cleanup in this game. I think he hit second he hit yesterday second. Yeah. and then he hit third today. And yeah. so all against lefties, obviously, but still it's just what a, what a weird team that we love. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's weird because I mean, I'm just, I'll just read off this lineup. Solano batted first, which makes sense. I mean, he's probably one of the more consistent right-handed bats we have. Definitely. Blanco was second, Correa third. And then it just gets worse, right? It's Lupla at fourth, Castro fifth, um, which I mean, yeah, he's a switch hitter, but he's not like, you know, amazing from either side of the plate necessarily. Kyle Farmer, who's been terrible this year against lefties for some reason. And then your first lefty bat in, in Matt Walner, who's basically out there because um, you have you no have other corner friends. outfielders. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Christian Vasquez, who is a nothing burger. And then Michael Tate Taylor, who, you know, has his flashes. But again, this I mean, he's batting ninth, even though he's a right handed hitter. So. Yeah, and, the, and this is a yeah. game where, like, ideally you'd like to see Ryan Jeffers out there, right? Yeah. But mm-hmm. since he's a catcher, he needed a day off. And so, yeah. you know, there have been a few games where they've been able to put both uh, Jeffers and Vasquez out there, but I don't think that's going to be the norm, nor should it be, right? Yeah. You, you want your catchers going, you know, probably max four times a week behind yeah. the plate. And so, you know, they, they've said they'll try to find Jeffers other ways in the lineup. He's DH'd a few times with Buxton out. They've played today. They played Vasquez at first and Jeffers <laughs> behind the plate, That's which so weird. is very weird. But, you know, you, you do what you need to do to get the right bats in there, I suppose. But I right mean, it's is, right is I don't know if there is a right uh, right handed bat in this case. Yeah, I mean, calling Vasquez the right bat to put in the lineup <laughs> is really funny. That being said, though, spoiler, he did go two for three today, batting fifth in the lineup. So yeah, maybe I, maybe the Twins are just stunting his uh, abilities by batting him eighth. Who knows? <laughs> uh, anyways, one other thing I wanted to mention here. Um, I mean, Sonny only gave up three runs, and that you know that should be something that the offense could should be able to match. But uh, Winder came in at the seventh and basically put the game out of reach. He gave up a homer to make it 4-0. And then two more runs in the eighth, and that's that's kind of how it, how it ended up as a six zero game. But uh, the more the bigger point here is that Winder has been awful, and um, just he doesn't look good. I don't know if it's just the comfort level of being a long reliever, where he isn't getting you know his his regular kind of starting routine or something like that. And I mean, let's be honest, the Twins aren't putting him in good positions either to succeed. Like right. as a long relief, basically he's in there when the twins are down three or more runs. Um, and it just feels weird that they're developing him this way, considering like how much promise he had um, even just two years ago as the minor league pitcher um, of the year for the twins. And now he's just a long relief guy who comes in for mop up duty, gets put in really poor situations. And then, you know, you can't really learn anything because he gives up three runs, but it's, it's also kind of a, a weird, weird setup for him to be going through. Yeah, I I think it's kind of a symptom of the Twins' bullpen struggles, how they've had to use him, right? And Mm -hmm. so not only has it hurt the team, obviously, but then it's hurt Winder, his development. Coming into this year, they kind of said that he wasn't going to be built up as a starter anymore because of his uh, chronic shoulder issues that he had. Mm -hmm. Um, He was talking about since moving to relief, he was pain-free in that shoulder for the first time, basically, since he was in high school. Yeah, And so... It makes sense to transition a guy like that to the bullpen. But again, you want to do it in a way like Griffin Jacks, for example, who's mm-hmm. kind of nothing as a starter, long reliever. But then, hey, we're going to go short spurts. We're going to build up that fastball. We're going to you know, really hone in on that slider. I think part of the issue where Jacks clearly had the really, really good slider, and mm-hmm. then they went and built on the fastball, Winder didn't really have any plus pitches. And so yeah, it, it was kind of true. more of like he did everything okay. He did nothing great. And mm-hmm. so that's where it's hard to say, okay, let's turn this guy into a elite, late inning weapon like Jax when it's like 
can he add anything to the fastball? Maybe, you know, don't, you don't really give him that chance when you're still asking him to go out there and throw two or three innings every time. Right. But when he doesn't have any of the great secondaries either, he's, he's kind of in a weird spot. Right. That's, that's true. Like, yeah, he doesn't have as, as a lead of a pitch that, that Jack says. Um, right. But yeah, it does feel like a weird sort of thing where it's like, well, we're going to put him in the bullpen. But we're also going to only like have him pitch like every, you know, six days or something like that. Or, oh, now he's going to pitch, every, you know, he, he pitched two days ago. Well, you need him now. You know, he's, he's not on full rest and, you know, all that, all that stuff. So, right. and, and when the twins are chock full of long relievers who you don't necessarily care that much about their long term development, yeah. right? Not, not to, I mean, kind of if you want to frame it that way, I feel like it's fine. But guys like Brent Hedrick and Cole Sands and at this point, Simeon Woods Richardson, mm-hmm. like you don't really care all that much about their long-term development because probably they're not going to be on the team all that much longer. Right. But someone like Winder, who maybe does have the potential to develop into that short-term weapon, I've just been very surprised that they haven't at least attempted to be like, hey, like Jordan Belazovich, for example, we're mm-hmm. going to shorten you down go all out for your one inning. We'll sit you for three games after that and just see what happens. But they haven't wanted to do that for whatever reason. Yeah. For, it also baffles me that Simeon Woods Richardson has never been brought up as part of this Same. long relief uh, mix other than once early in the year. It's not like he's destroying it at AAA and they need to keep him as a starter, right? He's been quite the opposite. And so I'm just very curious about what their plan is with him at this point, other mm-hmm. than maybe just – taken off the roster at the end of the year or trading him somewhere. Right. Unless they see something in him that the stats aren't showing. Like it does feel weird that he hasn't been brought up more often because yeah. they've already, you know, they already used his option this year. So might as and well. There, and there were reports too, that his, in his last start, his fastball was sitting at like 86. Oh, geez. And so it's, uh, it's not looking great for the uh, Jose Barrios trade at this point. Cause Barrios has gotten better. Sammy Woods Richardson has gotten worse. Austin Martin, ironically, has looked pretty good. Yeah. Maybe uh, Simeon Woods Richardson could be the new Zach Greinke, but uh, we'll see <laughs> it's, all that. It's not likely. There's a reason he's the exception. Yeah, that's true. Uh, all right. Moving on to game three. This was a 9-5 loss. Uh, Bailey Ober was the starter here with an uncharacteristically non-Bailey Ober type of start. Uh, five innings with 11 hits, four earned runs with one additional unearned run, one walk, and nine strikeouts. Um, honestly, like, I mean, I say this is a non-Bailey overstart, mainly because of the the four earned runs. But um, even though he gave up 11 hits, he actually had a pretty good start in terms of stuff. Had nine strikeouts, which is his highest number of strikeouts this season. Um, part of it was just a little bit of poor defensive play. In the first inning, Kepler yeah. kind of overran a a ball into the outfield and then that basically brought in two runs uh in the first inning and then the second inning he just kept on giving up base hits um leading to a couple more runs um and he didn't really give that many mistake pitches i was looking at kind of the the pitches that went for hits and you know runs eventually in this in this game and um it wasn't like they were all clustered in the middle like he was just missing his mark like you know they they were mostly competitive pitches i'm not saying every single one was like just unlucky but he was he was fairly competitive in how he was approaching the the tigers today um they just were were on his stuff yeah there were also quite a few of these hits that were you know weak contact kind of guardians-esque singles (laughs) and so yeah um a lot of bloopers into like shallow outfield and stuff like that yeah, exactly. And so there, there's been a few bad starts in a row here from Ober, but um, after how consistent he'd been leading up to this point, it's fair for him to have a few clunkers here and there. And also uh, some other places have pointed this out already, but he's already surpassed his uh, highest innings pitch yeah. total. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a guy who's kind of had some injuries in the past, and so he hasn't thrown all that many innings. And so no, he's older. I think at this point, you're not really going to shut him down. I think he's 27 already or maybe 26. He's 28, actually. 28. Okay, yeah. there you go. So, yeah, he, he's an older guy. He got started late uh, with the Twins by the time he made his debut. And so he's not someone I think that you're really going to worry all that much about uh, innings count. Someone like Joe Ryan, very similar, right? Mm-hmm. Older prospect by the time he gets up there. It, but I do think there is a little bit of concern about the long-term – not long-term, the short-term, what are we going to do through the end of the year to make sure we get into the playoffs? Right. I mean, just for reference, like his highest innings total ever was um, 108 innings in 2021 combined between AAA and, and the majors. This year, he already has 108 in the majors alone. Um, and then he also pitched, you know, 17 uh, innings in the minors. So 
Yeah. yeah he, we still got a month and a half to go. He still has a month so, and a half to go. Yeah. And, and obviously probably eight to, more starts probably for Ober in there. Right. You know, and that's, they're not going to put him on IL just for like rest or reasons or something like that. Right. They also I mean, can't afford to. <laughs> We're yeah, going to talk about that a little here, bit. Here's the thing is if Varland is good again, which maybe he is, maybe you do try to work in a few, maybe skip starts, if not IL stints, especially once Joe Ryan gets back. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the big if, right? Yeah, that, that's the big if. And we'll talk about that a little bit more too. But if Joe Ryan gets back, if he kind of looks like some sort of his old beginning of the year self, mm-hmm. then I think you're in a position where, okay, let's look a little bit towards the playoffs. Where can we work in some uh, off days or bullpen games with Varland and, uh, you know, Again, save him a little bit for some of the higher level, higher leverage innings you're going to need late in the year. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, and just like trying to find ways to give this rotation some rest. Um, yep. Because um, they they lead the league, I believe, in innings, something like that. Um, so yeah. like the the, the 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 starting staff, right? And like that's that's a good thing, but it also does mean that like this team is also built with a bunch of pitchers who have had history of injuries and things like that. So. Yeah, pretty extensive ones too. Not yeah. like, oh, an injury list stint here or there. It's yeah. Pablo Lopez and Sonny Gray just lived on the injured list for a lot yeah. of their careers. Mm-hmm. And Bailey Ober hasn't pitched that many innings. Joe Ryan's still fairly young. Kenta Maeda is coming off of Tommy Johns. You mm-hmm. know, like yeah. there's a lot of questions here still. And so you're going to have to find the innings if guys get hurt. Right. Uh, well, moving on to the bats, um, this was a 9-5 loss, so the Twins did manage to put up some runs here. Although, of course, it's a little bit harder when um, your starter – um, gives up five runs in, in five innings. It actually was a good start because uh, Carlos Correa and Joey Gallo both had homers in the second to give the Twins a 3-2 lead. Um, but then basically a bunch of runs were given up by um, Blazovic, uh, including a homer to Torkelson. Um, and so basically they were kind of out of the game. There was Correa did have a shot to tie the game uh, in the ninth inning. It was two outs, bases loaded. Um, but it's honestly kind of hard to put the blame on losing the game on just that opportunity. Um, I think like the expected runs in that sort of situation is like two runs anyways. Um, so they, they had a shot to tie it. Sure. But um, at the end of the day, when pitching gives up that many runs, it's, it's a little tough, but honestly it also wasn't even all the pitching's fault because there was just bad defensive plays in general, um, yeah. especially when Belozovic was pissing. It, it just felt like, defensive play here and there just kind of extended the inning just another batter another batter another batter and then so that that kind of led up to yeah another four runs getting in into the the score by the tigers yeah i mean in my mind at least the bats did something right it's always more exciting to lose a high scoring game than uh a game that ends 3-0 like this next one mm-hmm. yeah and so the next one was unfortunate because uh parsico's kentomeda had another great start six innings with three yeah. hits one and run one walk and four strikeouts i guess notable thing about this game was his splitter which is his usually really consistent pitch um uh, against righties uh, was essentially non-existent. It had one called strike and no whips over 20 pitches thrown. So, uh, yeah, basically it was useless. But his fastball and his slider picked up the slack, and actually his, his fastball was getting some whips when it was up in the zone, which was nice. Um, the main takeaway, I think, from this is that, you know, Maeda can really succeed even when one of his core pitches isn't working. Not saying that he's a great two-pitch pitcher, but, you know, he's able to get through a game and provide, you know, quality innings for you uh, even when something's not working and he is still the best twin starter since the all-star break um pablo is kind of close but he is behind him in a couple metrics uh since the all-star break so it's good to see him like continue going uh with this i i I hesitate to call it a hot streak because it's it's been you know six starts um but he's been doing really really well and uh i really hope this form is here to stay yeah it's been nice to see and like you were saying that's kind of mo with kenta right is obviously the fastball slitter is always his main one too but if one of those isn't working he does have you know slider curve change he can go to where um you know just gives you more options right versus mm-hmm. someone like griffin jackson granted he's a reliever but it's fastball slider and that's it like you're not getting anything else i think he threw one change up today in the game and it got hit for a single and i think he you know, that was his first change I'd be thrown in like three weeks or something like that. And right. so um, it, it is nice to have some versatility. Sometimes I think it's good to focus on your strengths, but uh, in Kenta's case where he doesn't have that high uh, velocity fastball, it's good to just give guys different looks, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, if, if the Twins' worst nightmare is facing a left-handed pitcher, their second worst nightmare <laughs> apparently is facing Reese Olsen, uh, who 
let's let's be honest. Reese Olsen has a 4.45 ERA and a 1.14 whip on the season, except when he plays Minnesota. Granted, this is just two starts, so small sample size, yada, yada, yada. He has a 0.79 ERA and a 0.88 whip. Um, yeah, it's only two starts, but basically he just he dominates the Twins anytime he's, he's pitched them this season. Uh, and fun fact, we get to face him this week when the Dodgers come to town again. So uh, here's to hoping that just like how Joey Wentz uh, wrecked us <laughs> in two starts and then we wrecked him in the third start. Uh, yeah, here's to hoping the Twins like maybe actually looked at some tape and figured out how to beat Reese Olsen. Um, at least he's not left-handed. You that's know? true. But is but is that even a good thing, like considering our left-handed bets? Um, listen, I, I will always take a lineup with Julian and Kepler and Walner in there than not, you know? Yeah, you're, you're not wrong there. Um, yeah, unfortunately, though, in this in this game, when they had those guys in uh, in the in the lineup, um, I think Julian was batting. Yeah, Julian batted first, Kepler batted fourth, Walner batted sixth. Um, they only managed two hits. Uh, they had nine strikeouts, which actually isn't that bad. That's actually kind of lower than their season average. Um, yeah. But they also only managed five base runners in total, so they weren't able to work too many walks. If you want to feel a little positive about it, like Comerica is one of the more pitcher-friendly parks because it's so huge. And Kepler did have two balls that he hit over 99 miles an hour that ended up as flyouts. However, uh, both would have ended up as flyouts in Target Field as well. So can't completely blame the park in this situation. Uh, I will completely blame the park and I will completely blame the Detroit Tigers for making this gigantic <laughs> park that uh, nobody likes to hit in, except for Miguel Cabrera in the uh, 2010s. Yeah. Well, Miguel Cabrera also, I believe in this game, passed uh, Robin Yount in, uh, or was it the game before? It might have been the game before, passed Robin Yount for uh, for a number of hits. So congratulations to Miggy. Um, yeah, Miguel Cabrera, the, who's hitting like 220 on the year, suddenly came to life against the Twins, and yeah. that probably explains this series a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's he's got a personal vendetta or something. So, <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Like we mentioned, like this, they lost the series, obviously one three, but also the maybe the more sad part about this is that they've also lost the season series as well, and they still have more games to play against the Tigers. So that's that's how much the Tigers have uh, wrecked us this season, despite again yeah. being 12 games below. 500 (laughs) there's always weird things like this for every even good team every year and i'm not even sure if the twins are necessarily a good team Mm -hmm. but uh there's always stuff like this where for whatever reason the tigers just have your number right that to more than it seems like any other team where the twins have played the guardians well the white Sox well the royals well even with that sweep that they had earlier this month but the tigers for whatever reason i just I hate playing them and we're going to play them two more times this week and mm-hmm. I'm going to hate every minute of it. <laughs> yeah, let's let's hope it's not as uh soul crushing as as this series was. Yeah, for sure. Well, moving on to the Philly series, uh game 1 was not much better. Uh this was a 13-2 loss um and this might have been the last time we saw Dallas Keuchel in a Twins uniform because It better be. He pitched 1.2 innings, 6 hits, 6 earned runs, 2 walks and 0 strikeouts. Uh, thanks to Aaron Gleeman of The Athletic for this little tidbit. He's the fourth pitcher since 2000 to record zero strikeouts in back-to-back starts. He's the first to do it since Carl Pavano in 2011. Shout out to Carl Pavano, opening day starter for both the Yankees and the Twins. Um, Nick Blackburn showed, on that, showed up on that list twice. Um, uh, man, good old, good old memories of Nick Blackburn as well. That was fun. Nick Blackburn and Carl P- Pavano are probably like two pitchers that I – in, in my mind, they were so much better, mostly because I just saw them pitch so many times in so <laughs> yeah. many innings for the Twins. And I was like, back in those days, you know, I was like 13, 14, whatever. So I don't totally, know anything yeah. about anything. And I'm like, oh, yeah, Carl Pavano, all-star, amazing. Bring him back always. Yep. Anyway, Carl Pavano. I, I remember being super excited about Nick Blackburn because it was like him and um, Scott Baker. And Scott Baker were going to be like the next, like, you know, aces duo for the twins and yeah, backing uh, up Francisco Liriano, yeah. the most chaotic no hitter of all time. Yeah. So much, man. The I remember just like, yeah, being a kid and having so much optimism for this team. Oh, and who can, who can forget uh, the original twins, Correa, Kevin Correa. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> T- 
talk about remembering some guys. That's oh, basically boy. what we're doing here. But Honestly, those, those like mid two thousands pitching rotations were just hilarious. It, it was incredible. The Twins were so good on that stretch there in the mid two thousands with just some of the worst pitchers. It was Johan Santana and then yep. Francisco Liriano, mm-hmm. and Joe Nathan, and then some of the worst pitchers you've ever heard of. Yeah, I'm trying. To, wasn't it like Scott Erickson was like randomly good for one season or something like that? I don't even remember. Um, yeah, we, we'll we'll need to do a history episode one of these days about just how awful those rotations really who can forget were. playoff starter brian dunsing oh goodness <laughs> he turned into a good reliever later in his career but yeah he did he did kind of figure game. it out so good for him uh um, yeah. yeah anyways yeah uh <laughs> back to this game keichel was essentially awful all six of it hit all the six of the hits he gave were pitches that were located basically middle ish of the zone like they weren't middle middle but they were pretty much just you know, essentially meatballs. And uh, when you're facing the Phillies, who again have Bryce Harper, Nick Castellanos, Trey Turner, Kyle Schwarber, um, yeah, they're going to they're going to crush you when you make mistakes like that. So yeah, um, yeah, he was basically you know, he was out basically in the second inning. And uh, the the best part about this was that there was actually a little bit of hope in this one because uh, Polanco and Kepler both uh, had solo home runs in the second and. Uh, yeah, it kind of made this made this impression that they were going to blow this open against another lefty starter in Christopher Sanchez, who has like has had a little bit of a resurgence this season. But I mean, historically, he's just not a very good pitcher. Yeah. Uh, but he kind of settled down after the second inning, giving up only two more hits um, for a total uh, in the following four innings. And then the Twins basically couldn't do much. They struck out eleven times total in the game. Um, and then, like we mentioned, uh, Luplo batted second in this one. <laughs> Uh, partially that's because Donovan Solano was dealing with an injury. Uh, but again, a guy that just got DFA'd is historically in the last few seasons has not been very good, um, is batting second in this lineup. It's not what you want. Yeah, not great, Bob. Uh, and uh, to, I guess, add insult to injury after Keichel came in and gave up six earned runs, uh, Josh Winder and Brent Hedrick came in and just kind of didn't make anything look better. Um, I guess the only nice thing was that Brad Hedrick did strike out five batters in 3.1 innings, but he also gave up three runs. So, you know, not, not great. And then, yeah. uh, yeah. I mean, at that point you're, you're just eating innings, right? Uh, I can't remember. One of them got optioned after this game. I can't remember if it was Winder or Hedrick, but it probably was Hedrick, but let me check e- either way. You know, it's kind of interchangeable long relief guys sent one of them down, brought Cole Sands back up. It so was Hedrick. Fresh arm. Yeah. Okay, there you go. Uh, and yeah, it's just I, this was kind of one of the lowest points I was feeling about the Twins after this game. <laughs> Luckily, they turned it around. But at the same time, I was like, "It's Dallas Keuchel. What were you expecting? His right. eighty-six mile an hour fastball wasn't getting out uh, the twi- or the Phillies all-star hitters who could have seen that coming." But it's just a uh, listen. You tried the Keuchel thing. He had one good start that was much better than any of the underlying stats would indicate. This mm-hmm. is much more in line with what the underlying stats would indicate. Yep. And so, again, the Twins have uh, three off days in the next nine games, or in the next nine days. And so they have plenty of opportunities to just skip a start if they want to, or if they want to work in some rest, just cut him and bring up Varland. He's on the exact same schedule as Keiko. He started the same get- game. And ironically, I think pitched into the eighth inning and didn't give up any runs. And so uh, it perfectly aligns if you just want to bring Louis Varland back up, or even if you just want to go with four starters for a week and a half, that's fine too. Either way, Dallas Keuchel should not throw another inning for the Minnesota Twins. Yeah. Like it's it, the fact that he's up here instead of Varland when they're on the same schedule is just um, at this point, it makes no sense. <laughs> right. Let, I mean, the first start, this- it, it made a little sense. The second, after we see this one, yeah, he, he should be immediately DFA'd. I mean, even just going with Brent Hedrick over Keuchel, right? Where it's like Hedrick at least has some good uh, strikeout stats, if nothing else. Keuchel, there's literally nothing you can do with this, right? This is the difference between uh, AAA and the major leagues, right? Where mm-hmm. he can throw 86 at AAA and have a good couple months and look solid. You can't do that at the major leagues, right? He got really, really lucky with that first start. And it's nothing except that. Yeah. And this one he didn't. And this is what it's going to look like if he starts again. Yeah. The only fun thing from this game was that uh Jordan Luplo had a great Craig Kimball <laughs> pitching in the night. So uh good good for him, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that, that that stuff is always great. I don't know. It, it's just good to have a little fun and remember it's a game, right? right. And so um position players pitching is always fun in uh some way. Mm-hmm. Well, game two was when maybe the hopes started arising again. 
Pablo Lopez was pitching here with a six inning, four hit, no earned run, one walk, and seven strikeout start. Um, some fun metrics for you, as I was teasing a little bit earlier. Since the All-Star break, in his six starts, Lopez has a 2.95 ERA and a 1.09 whip. He also has a 28.6% strikeout rate, which is 10th in the majors. Uh, Kenta Maeda is ahead of him fourth in that metric. So um, Pablo is not the best pitcher on the Twins, uh, even though the, the past few starts might indicate that. Um, but yeah, his his fastball on this one, like, like you mentioned on his previous start, his fastball on this one was phenomenal. Um, all his pitches were great, but the fastball was really, really good in this one. Yeah. Uh, he's been just incredible since the break and he's just been really good all year. Right. He had that yeah. bad stretch, but even his bad stretch was all right. It was like you know, three like, runs here, three runs there. I think right, he had like there was one, one I think he gave up six, but he still yeah. pitched six innings, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. like, and, and that's been, what's nice to see about Pablo, especially compared to the bad starts of Joe Ryan. Right. And, Obviously, we know now that that's injury-induced, but those were starts where it's like, man, he just looks like unpitchable versus Pablo Lopez. Like, all right, it's been a little rough, but let's keep him going, save the bullpen. Um, and again, the strikeout numbers have been really, really good for him this year. And so he is third in all of baseball in strikeouts behind Spencer Strider and Kevin Gossman, mm-hmm. uh, second in the AL, and he's three behind Gossman for first in the AL. Spencer Strider is uh, very far ahead of everybody else. But, um, you know, when you're looking at that AL – Cy Young race. You're looking at Gossman. You're looking at Garrett Cole. You're looking at Shohei Otani, mm-hmm. and then the next name might be Pablo Lopez. It it might be, yeah. But like again, I think that that blip in the middle might hurt him. But that being said, uh, Cole also has had not a lot of luck this season and some things. Right. And I mean, Gossman's been pretty solid, but he did miss some time because of injury. Yeah. Um. So yeah, there's there's a lot of still you know good names that that are on this list and there, there really is no clear cut front runner. I think yeah. on the, on the AL side, I, I think you're most likely looking at Garrett Cole for no other reason than he's, he's been himself, right? He's been very, very good. Yeah, He's been very, true. very good for a long time and he hasn't won a Cy Young. And so if nothing else, I think voters might just defer to the guy who has, you know, a hall of fame track record besides the Cy Young awards. Right. Yeah. My votes probably for Otani, but that's that. I mean, that's also context of the fact yeah. that like, I, I think the concern with Otani is, time. Yeah, I think the concern with Otani is innings pitched the rest of the way. He's been pulled sure. from a few starts uh, yep. mm-hmm. with cramping, and you know he's doing everything for the Angels. Yep. And especially if they get out of the playoff race, he just might ramp it down a bit to maintain his uh, long-term success. Right. But yeah, Pablo Lopez has been phenomenal. Um, and also in this one, the bats showed up again for some reason. Uh, 11 hits and seven walks on the night. So 18 base runners, which is really impressive. Walner, Gallo, and Correa all had homers. And Gallo actually had two homers. So I think that puts him at three for this week, which is, you know, I think more than the last month or something like that. Um, Actually, he actually went four for four, which is incredible, which brought his average up to 185. So, um, yeah, real solid night for Joey Gallo here. Oh, boy. Yeah, he uh, has had two good games this week. He had a lot of bad games in between. Unfortunately, because uh, the Alex Kirilov situation isn't looking great, he's going to be on the team still. And mm-hmm. so I suppose if he's going to be on the team, let's mix in a few good games with the bad ones, you know? Right. Uh, it's just, on. well, I mean, I guess when he hits them, it's good. But it would be nice to see him hit these in closer games. But we'll take the run support regardless. Um, and then with the relievers, not much to talk about here, but it was a nice little redemption for Jordan Belovicevich, who um, had that you know really bad outing a couple games ago, and then he finished the ninth one, the ninth inning of this one with two strikeouts, so a little confidence boost there. Oh, John, hang on here. I have an amazing Joey Gallo stat for you. Oh, let's hear it. Okay, so Joey Gallo in the month of August has six hits. Uh, do you want to guess how many he had in the entire month of July? Oh boy. Um. I hope it's like five. Uh, oh no, let's go with three. Uh, it was six. So he's six, okay. <laughs> it's the exact same. He's matched the number, uh, which I suppose is good for the turnaround here. So his August stats: he ha- is hitting two fifty, four nineteen okay. OBP, six twenty five slugging. He has an OPS over a thousand. Right, this is basically the version of himself that he was in April. The one month he was good. Yeah. And so, if there was ever a time for him to turn it on, it would be now. Unfortunately, I do think all of the stats are buoyed by this one four hit game because the rest of the month he has two hits but um yeah no (laughs) that july was just so bad from joey gallo 
I mean, I mean, if we're being honest here, if he has a hot streak in August and he cools off in September, that might be the time that Kirilov is healthy again and comes back. Yeah, um, so and maybe then, it's not the worst. And then now you can put Gallo on the bench because Matt Walner is hitting the crap out of the ball. Or maybe you just cut him and he's not on the team anymore. That would that be my too. preferred that would be, method. I would be okay with that as well. Um, yeah, but we'll we'll talk about the the line, the rotation, not the rotation, the roster settings in a little bit. Um, but finishing out this Philly series, the rubber match, game three, uh, this was a three zero victory for the Twins. Sonny Gray was a starter here with six innings, two hits, three walks, and seven strikeouts. Really solid game from him. You don't love the walks, but honestly, you can't really argue with six shutout innings. The slider again was really solid. Six whiffs on nineteen thrown. Fastball was providing really solid results as well. Getting whiffs, getting called strikes. Just a really classic Sunny Gray start. Um, and then a little fun trivia here. He had a near immaculate inning in the sixth. Uh, but then Bryson decided on um, the second pitch of his at-bat to uh, pop out instead uh, instead of striking out. So he finished the inning with only eight pitches as opposed yeah. to nine. How, how inconsiderate of him. Right, yeah. How could, he, how could he finish with one pitch less than an immaculate inning? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a great start from Sonny. Given the state of the bullpen, I was surprised Rocco didn't set him back out for the seventh. Same. I know late in the game, Sonny has really, really struggled, but so is the bullpen. And so uh, Jax had just pitched the day before, Thielbar had just pitched the day before. And so it was one where like normally you don't want to do this, but again, this bullpen isn't normal. Mm-hmm. And so I, I would have sent him back out for the seventh and maybe they should have still with how uh, rough Jax looked there. Yeah, Jax uh, had a little bit of an off day. He had two hits and a he also hit a batter to load the bases. Um, and so basically Rocco was like, yeah, that's that's it. Gave him the hook uh, and then put in Caleb Thielbar with the bases loaded. And, uh, you know, controversy ensued when uh, it was honestly a pretty terrible call from the umpire. It, it was bad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for those who didn't watch it, it was a 3-2 count. Alec Bohm, uh, who plays third base for the Phillies, was up to bat. And uh, basically, it was a pitch that was inside by around like three inches. Like, and if you looked, the, actually, the more the more trying thing was that if you looked on the top down view that they did the replay, it was like sunny in Philly. So the shadows were very clear. Like, you could tell where the ball was. And it was just nowhere. It, like, I don't think it touched the plate. Like, the shadow never went over the plate at all. And, yeah, uh, the uh, it, it then set up a little funny situation for the rest of it, where any time a pitch was called a ball on the Phillies or a strike, uh, or called you know any time there was a pitch that was borderline or some that even weren't borderline, the Phillies fans were booing when it was a result they didn't like. Yeah. Right, the uh, Phillies get called for a called strike on a pitch straight down the middle, and the boos start rigging out. And <laughs> it, it was a very funny situation, but also. Frankly, it's good to see one of these go the Twins way for once where it seems like they'd been hurt on so many of these like high leverage, bad called thir- third strikes, and they got one in their favor. And so maybe they do all balance out in the end. Yeah, I mean, I will be honest, though. I don't know if you if you were – I mean, it was probably a little bit harder to figure out the pitch locations during the Diamondback series. Um, but the umpires were given some really friendly strike zones in that one as well. Yeah, um, I saw the uh, Duran one to finish yeah. out game one. Yeah. That was, again, not particularly close. It was it was not good. Um, yeah, so the umpires in general have been pretty awful uh, for both sides, but it, I think they've been kind of favoring the Twins a little bit. In, in, Listen, I'll, in I'll take it, you know? Yeah, I'm not going to argue with it. it, it it's nice. Um, but uh, going to the bats in this one, uh, Jordan Luplo with his first homer as a twin uh, in seven games so far, since we can finally talk about him, uh, it, it talk about it as his, his uh, performance as a whole. He's gone six for 18, so it's a 333 average. But beyond that, he's uh, he's only contributed two runs and uh, this RBI, uh, or I guess technically, no, yeah, this RBI, this homer. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, not great. And he was batting third in this one third so, today yep at least he's hitting the ball which is nice um uh, but uh yeah he's the the other counting stats really aren't coming <laughs> he's been a living breathing right-handed bat and that yes. was more than the twins had before <laughs> that's true <laughs> Uh, Cal Garlic, uh, we're really sorry about that, but um, yeah, apparently <laughs> this DFA guy was just a little bit better than you. Yeah. Uh, Jorge Polanco also added two RBI singles for the other two runs in the game, and the Twins actually, like, despite the score, actually had a pretty solid offensive output. They had ten hits and four walks on the day. Uh, just again, couldn't get any runners in. They were two for eight with runners in scoring position. Obviously, those two were from Polanco. Um, 
and uh, they did have the bases loaded in the situation in the third inning, I believe. Uh, but then Ranger Suarez had two strikeouts. I think one of them to Luplo, and then the other one was to Ryan Jeffers. Um, and so, yeah, they, they had a chance to add more runs, um, just couldn't. But you know, Sunny Gray six shutout innings, no biggie. Um, and then a little helpful call from the umpire, and then you know, just a couple good outings from uh, Emilio Pagan and Yohan Duran as well. John, I'm going to say it again. Should the Twins maybe re-sign Emilio Pagan after the year? Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you ask me right now if they should do it, I weirdly am like wholeheartedly yes. Like he's probably the third best reliever on this team. I would not make any sort of long-term commitment to him. But if he comes back for like one year, five million, why yeah, not? Right? I'd do it. And then, yeah, if it goes if it goes poorly, you're in the exact same position you are this year, where you just cut him and it's fine, right? Yeah. Now, if he goes out there and he gets like two for ten from somebody, which he very well could, uh, I don't think you do that. But if he comes back on any sort of one year deal, why not? Yeah, and then also while you're doing that, sign some other relievers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because that's the thing, Emilio Pagan. I still don't love him in this high leverage, you know, seventh eighth inning setup type yeah. of guy mm-hmm. uh, role for him. But if he's your fourth or fifth guy out of the pen, great. That's perfect for a guy like Emilio Pagan who has good stuff and maybe it's just not always there. That's the exact type of guy you want in that role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, if, if we want to really be interested about what he what the Twins did here, they actually had him pitch against Castellanos and, and Bryson Stott. So two pretty solid hitters, but, you know, um, they, they've really been trusting him in these high leverage situations. And it's it's Mostly cool to see him. It's cool to see him respond. But yeah. also, it's it's still scary every single time. Definitely, it's uh yeah, good good on Pagan. We're gonna keep giving him credit because he's deserved it, right? He I think Completely. he's gotten as much hate of any Twins pitcher I remember in recent memory, and deservedly so. He had mm-hmm. the worst home run rate in MLB history last year. Yeah. But you got to give him credit then on the back end, right? Mm-hmm. It's hard to fight through something like that, especially on the same team, especially when you know what the uh, coaches, fans frankly, maybe even other players think about you to come out the other end pitching this well. It's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, the fun wrinkle, we also we already mentioned this, but Christian Vasquez batting fifth just <laughs> and playing first base. Like, he didn't come in as, like, a pitcher. Yeah. Or they, they started him at first base. Like, that's... Uh, yeah. That's the rough. Yeah. The lineup was a little short today in general. Correa got his first off day in a while. Uh, Donovan Solano hurt his knee and ankle earlier in the week, and so he was playing today, which was good, mm-hmm. and he got three hits, but... Uh, he was limited to DH because of that. And so that's, I think, mostly why you saw Vasquez at first. Right. And the other thing, too, is that they were facing a lefty. So. Yeah. And Willie Castro's hurt now, too. So it's a, it's a little rough health-wise right now for the roster. Yay. <laughs> what else is new? Um, okay. Let's get into uh, some news and notes. So speaking of injuries, uh, let's start with uh, Willie Castro, who I just mentioned. He had some lower back stiffness earlier in the week. He hasn't played since then. Uh, Frankly, Willie Castro hasn't been very good in a couple months now. He had uh, that hot start early in the year. He's gotten a few hits here and there, but he hasn't really shown any power in a while. Uh, He's still stealing bases, which is why if he's healthy, I think he's still on this team. He has an option remaining, so he could be sent down to AAA in this upcoming roster crunch we're going to talk about. But... Uh, as it is right now, he's hurt. And I think uh, when Royce Lewis comes back, maybe as early as the Tuesday game, uh, the simple move might just be putting Willie on the injured list for a few uh, games here. Uh, the other thing I want to mention with the struggles against the right-handed bats too is Kyle Farmer, who we sort of mentioned in passing. Uh, they brought him in because he can play shortstop and he crushes lefties. He has played shortstop and he's played pretty well. He's played other places in the infield. He hasn't hit righties or lefties very well. And that's, I think, been a big problem for the twins or they are counting on this guy you know maybe he's not going to hit third or fourth but they kind of want him hitting fifth against lefties and hitting fairly well and he just hasn't done that this year i don't think his roster spot is in danger by any stretch mostly because he's a living breathing right-handed bat and more importantly he's basically the backup shortstop for correa if he misses time unless you want to run royce lewis out there who knows but for that reason alone i think farmer's pretty safe with this roster crunch. Speaking of Royce Lewis, he has been playing very well at AAA and his rehab assignment for the last week or so. Uh, he is past time to be eligible to be activated. And so, like I was saying, I think we'll see him uh, on Tuesday back up and in the lineup, which will be very good considering the twins have been uh, running out Jorge Polanco at third, who has not looked good defensively and not that good offensively either. And then Willie Castro and Kyle Farmer the other days. So, 
Uh, I think Royce will bring a good right-handed spark to the offense like he has in the past when he's been healthy. Yeah, I mean, his, his three games in AAA were really solid, had multiple hits in one of them, had multiple RBIs in another, had two walks in the game that he had no hits. Like, he's been getting on base and being kind of the disruptive player that he was right before he got on IL. Yeah. So uh, it'll be nice to have his you know personality and his bat back in the lineup for the Twins. Yeah, he uh, he hit home a home run, which is great. Uh, with that core injury, you know, there's a lot of we've talked about this before with the obliques, especially, but it's that it's that torque that comes a lot from the core it can be really hard for hitters. And so the fact that he hit a home run, uh, he's had a lot of off days worked in. I think he hasn't played two games in a row yet, and so maybe they keep him there for a little bit longer before they bring him up. But with the uh, healthy health position of the players currently on the team, maybe they just rush him back and still play him every other day. Uh, in the meantime. Uh, yeah, but getting Royce Lewis back should bring a jolt to this offense. I think there's a lot of underlying metrics that still say he was pretty lucky his first stint around with the Twins. He wasn't hitting the ball particularly hard. Mm-hmm. But again, it can't be worse than Joey Gallo, uh, Willie Castro, how he's looked lately, right? And again, the right-handed bat is the important part at this point too. Right. Um, another potential major update is Chris Paddock. He's scheduled to start facing live batters this week for the first time since his Tommy John surgery. I don't know if he'll pitch this year. Nobody really knows if he'll pitch this year. They have to see how he responds to working up uh, and everything. If he does pitch, it'll be out of the bullpen and start short stints. There's a lengthy history of guys not doing well after second Tommy John surgeries. And so they're going to be extra, extra cautious with him like they were with Maeda last year. But he could bring something to the bullpen that needs, frankly, just something. All I'm going to say is that Chris Paddock has an ER career, like over five. But his FIP is better. Is it that much better, though? I don't know. And the other thing, too, is you never really know how guys respond to pitching in those shorter stints, especially a guy like Paddock that doesn't have great stuff and is coming off of a major elbow injury. Yeah. Um, But... Can it be worse than Josh Winder? I, I legitimately don't know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'll I'll give him his due. He had a four point two. He has a career four point two RA, and a career three point nine four FIP. So yeah, he's not he, as terrible as I'm he saying is he is. Tall and has great hair, and if nothing else, maybe he can use that to intimidate other hitters. We'll see if that works. <laughs> sure. Again, I think it's more than what Josh Winder's offering right yeah, now. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, I mean, we'll have to see how these rehab assignment goes, but yeah, for sure. Yeah. Again, if he pitches, it'll be end of September, very end of the year. Basically, I think it would be the Twins are locked into a playoff spot. Let's get him into a couple games and see if he has anything to potentially add to the mm-hmm. playoff roster. Yeah. Um, and even then, I think it's a little bit of a stretch. But uh, let's move on to the next guy here, uh, Alex Kirloff. So we don't have any official updates on Kirloff or Buxton for that matter. Uh, but with Buxton's injury when it first happened, uh, his update was we're shutting him down for two weeks and we'll take a look after that. Buxton historically hasn't really done rehab assignments because he's so injury prone. I don't know if that's a Buxton decision or a twins decision. Don't necessarily disagree with it. If he's going to get hurt, I suppose you'd rather have it happen with the big league team. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. And then Kirloff. Uh, the update we got from him was a few days ago, just basically saying the shoulder isn't responding. We're still kind of TBD one that sounds like most likely we're heading to off season shoulder surgery, but, uh, if it can be postponed, if he can, you know, deal with the pain, maybe he can still play a bit this year and get Joey Gallo strikeouts out of the lineup. Yeah, right, man. Carolina's uh, injury history is just so unlucky. Like, I know, especially right when he really started to turn it on. Yeah. He won, uh, AL player of the week. He was hitting for power again. And then just right at the wrong time, mm-hmm. uh, the shoulder acts up. Yeah. Um, also no updates on Joe Ryan, but the report on him was that he's been throwing still. And so this wasn't like a shutdown injury, uh, which makes sense. It's a lower body injury instead of an arm injury and no updates on Brock Stewart either. He isn't eligible to return until August 25th, the end of this month. And it's frankly not looking great for him. Anytime you're not getting updates on players, that's when I start to get more worried, right? Unless it's something like Buxton where they've explicitly said, we're shutting him down for two weeks. We'll see what happens after that. Uh, that That's where, you know, it, it starts to get a little bit more worrying. Yeah. I think Brock Stewart, like the estimate was like mid-September, but I mean, that's essentially like he's not coming back for the season. Yeah. Exactly. He still might be able to get on a playoff roster 
if you know the twins need some help in the bullpen but um it would be unlikely i think for him to play in any meaningful games maybe like a game where it's like hey we just we we're already in the playoffs that winning this game doesn't improve our position let's just see what how he does in some live game action yeah, exactly. And one last thing here, speaking of Royce Lewis's hopefully imminent return, uh, the Twins are maybe going to put themselves in another little roster crunch here. While Buxton is out, they can keep on having Julian DH or Polanco DH like they've been doing fairly often. But uh, once Buxton is also back, you're really in a lineup crunch where your best bats to get them on the lineup, somebody has to play first base or center field besides Michael A. Taylor or Joey Gallo. And I don't know if anybody the Twins have in that mix of four between Buxton, Julian, Polanco, and Lewis is going to play either of those positions. Uh, Royce Lewis may be eventually in center field in the future. I think they're not going to play him there this year after the injury uh, that happened last year. They'll want him to get you know a full offseason of work in whatever position they were planning on moving him to. And then Julian, for whatever reason, they will not play him at first base. Maybe they just throw Polanco over there because they've moved around Polanco and you know he's maybe a little bit more uh, willing to do that or it might just be that the twins are less worried about him long term since it doesn't seem like he's gonna be on the team much longer and so they're just more happy to throw him over at first and see what happens but um we've said it before i'll say it again they need to get julian some reps at first if they want to have a good real playoff lineup come you know end of september beginning of october i i don't know why they haven't moved him there already like i get i get the whole reps thing but this is a team that is trying to are like compete in the playoffs and Julian playing second in a playoff game just scares the crap out of me. Um, right. Like I would much rather have him be a poor defender at first than have him be a poor defender at second. Like, or if you have him DH, that's fine too. But then, yeah. But then what Byron do you do with, has with to play Buxton, in the outfield, right? which yeah. th- There's a little piece of me with this Buxton injury because it didn't seem like it was any more serious than his previous hamstring injury. They didn't put him on the IL right away. Yeah. And so there's a little part of me that's thinking maybe we're giving him some extended time off so maybe we can work him back into center field for October. I mean, and, yeah. I mean, basically, could he play three games in the wild card series? Could he? And, great. And, can he play seven in the division series? And, and honestly... Let's give him two. Let's give him two of those off, and let, it might not even go seven, right? Like, right. Give give him a couple games at DH, and give him a couple games in center. You know, like I, I don't know what his injury situation is. Nobody knows because they won't really share it uh, explicitly with anybody. But th- there's a little part of me that's saying maybe this is why they're doing it. Right? We're gonna just shut him down. We're gonna see how it responds, and maybe just maybe we can get him into center field once a week. And we can give him three days off a week, right? And that's how we're going to do it from now until we get to the end of September. Let's ramp it up. October, you're playing in center field every day. Maybe. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, let's be honest, right? I remember at the beginning of this whole saga, our interview with Buxton was that he was hoping he was going to get to 130 games, right? Yep. He's at 85 right now, right? And there's a month and a half left, which you know means kind of around 40-ish games left. He's not going to get to 130. Obviously, he's not going to play every single day from here on out. Right. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's no reason to not be resting him if you if if we feel good about you know where we are in terms of the division race and all that fun stuff. Which, frankly, we do. Right. We just had not a great week. We lost three out of four to the Tigers, uh, and then won the ones with the Phillies. And if the guardians are going to continue to play this bad, I get that. Like maybe from a pride perspective, you don't want to walk into the playoffs as, Oh, we have a worse record than Mm -hmm. the fourth or fifth team in the AL East. But just from a logical playoff perspective, take that away. Mm -hmm. Does it make more sense to maybe just not run out your best lineups that you're ready for October? And that, that might be a legitimate case. And one more thing with the Julian thing, the reason I've been extra frustrated with it too, is like, they're not getting him any reps in there at all and like yeah i'm talking like practice reps and then at the same time what about this game that you lost 13 to why not in the seventh inning just be like okay let's try it right because yep. you know this is coming it's going to happen yeah um and maybe it's because you feel really optimistic about alex kirilov getting back and then your first base problem is solved and you have a different problem you have to deal with mm-hmm. but again the twins a team that has so thoroughly valued positional flexibility just decided they don't want it with julian which is very weird. I mean, they they had Larissa Rise as their starting first baseman last year. Like, yeah, like it, the 
the big thing that's always been with Julian is his arm, right? Well, guess what? At first base, you don't really necessarily have to have a good arm. His range has been somewhat tested at second base. And it's been pretty good. It's been the throws that have been the issue. Yeah, I mean, there, there's been a, there's been some grounders that have gone past him in second. But at first, like, who cares? At first, it's not even about range. It's mostly about reaction. Right, right? exactly. And so, to me, it just... It just makes no sense that they're not trotting him out there for like at least one game a week, you know? Yeah. Just like or learn three the three innings and a blowout blowout loss. Yeah. Again. I know. Well, I mean, you make a really good point in that, yeah, that thirteen two uh game, you you know you're not coming back. Who cares yeah. if you give it you're you're already you already weighed the white flag by putting Brent Hedrick in there. So uh yeah, putting Julian at first just man, it makes so much sense for this team. Um then you get Polanco back in his you know best position at second. Yep. Granted, they're probably not doing this because a they don't really have a third baseman besides Cal Farmer or Willie Castro, I guess. So maybe that's maybe that's what the inner you know inner thoughts are. But when Lewis comes back, it just yeah. which again is imminent. Maybe it's not Tuesday, but it's likely this week. Yeah, it just makes too much sense for them to move Julian to first. Like it, it just yeah. it feels like a no brainer. I don't know why they haven't done it. Maybe there is something where he's actually worse at first base in terms of defense, yeah. but he's played the position before. Granted, it was in the minors, but first base in the majors is still the same thing as first base in the minors. The hits just maybe go past you a little faster. Yeah, and I get there is situations where you're worried about long-term development, right? But I think you do have to take into account the short-term right here. You have a team that's more likely than not, according to all playoff odds, 90% likely to make the playoffs this year. Mm-hmm. you got to look at what's going to make your team best this year in October. And then going forward, if after this year, your plan is Edward Julian, everyday starting second baseman, that's fantastic. That's great. But right now, you need him somewhere else. And so it's – and where – He's not a great defender anyway. It doesn't matter if, you know, maybe it hurts his defensive development because mm-hmm. the only way he's playing on a major league team is if he's hitting. And so yep. throw him at first, see what's going to happen. Real quick, let's look ahead to next week before we wrap up. Uh, next week, there's only five games because they have those two off get days. They have off day Monday, two games against Detroit, and then an off day again Thursday, and then three with Pittsburgh. Uh, as it stands right now, I believe Dallas Keuchel is scheduled to start game one against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Yep. Honestly, maybe not a horrible place to throw Keichel if you're going to throw him, but please, for the love of God, don't let him. Um, we'll get a little bit more clarity on the roster in the coming days as well if Willie Castro needs to go to the injured list, uh, if Royce Lewis is going to be ready to be back, and I think all of that will kind of shape Keichel's future as well. Um, but only five games this week, and five games should all be uh, incredibly winnable, but you never know with Detroit, and you never know with the Twins. Yeah, <laughs> that Pittsburgh game, I it it better oh man. If Pablo Lopez is not starting that first Pittsburgh game, <laughs> I mean, I you mean, still need to not. win the division technically. Like you know, like that's yeah. still a thing you have to do. Even if he's not, throw Brent Hendrick, throw Louis Varlin. Just yeah, like not, Louis Varlin too. I mean, he's he's available. All right, let's uh, let's wrap it up there. Uh, be sure to check us out. Uh, if you like what you heard, you can hear us at Twinkie Town. Uh, you can read us at Twinkie Town. And then if you want some more fantasy baseball information, hear John at Pitcher List every week. John, do you have any uh, fantasy baseball tips this week? Uh, Cole Reagans. He's a pitcher with uh, Kansas City Royals. Got traded in the Aroldis Chapman trade. Uh, I already might have actually mentioned his name on this podcast, but seriously, go pick him up. Like His fastball is doing some nasty stuff. And... Uh, yeah, it's it's weird to recommend a Kansas City pitcher, but Reagan's is Reagan's feels like the real thing. Former uh, top prospect, if I remember correctly, yeah, went a little poorly to start, but looks like he's maybe figuring it out it's now. Pretty terrible with the Rangers this year, but yeah, um, yeah, he's figured out something in Kansas City. So, and even if he's not, sometimes you just need a guy to get hot for two weeks to help your fantasy team. So. Pretty much, yeah. Um, all right. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter slash X, uh, whatever you want to call it. You can follow John at the John Cuh. You can follow myself at Ben Jones underscore five. And again, be, for, be sure to follow the podcast as well at Twinstock Pod if you like what you heard. Um, follow us on your podcast platform of choice. And please, please, please leave us a five-star rating. Uh, until then, we'll be back to talk twins next week. See you guys later.